Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest for this show is the person who was kind enough to join me for the first episode of the Everything USC podcast after we changed over to covering all SC sports back in May. He's the host of the USC Football Postgame Show on KABC 790 AM, the flagship station for the Trojans Radio Network, as well as a play-by-play broadcaster for Fox Sports West, Prime Ticket, ESPN, and others. Sam Farber, welcome back to the Everything USC podcast. Nara, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Always glad to talk SC and all things with you. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe and rate it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or others. You can also go to the website Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter. Find and follow me there at Nara Wang Sports, N A R A W E N G Sports. Sam, let the audience know where they can catch up with you. Sure. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. And you mentioned we had spoken on the first edition, first episode of this podcast. And the more uh, time that's gone on, the more things have changed in the sense that we are now for sure going to see football, knock on wood. But the more things stay the same and that we've just kind of been in a holding pattern. So looking forward to USC getting going again and hopeful that everything else in sports and society gets on a similar trajectory to where we can be closer to normal. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The football season is in full swing, and while you might not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Can Clemson knock off Notre Dame with star quarterback Trevor Lawrence not playing due to a positive COVID-19 test? And now that Lawrence has longer odds to win the Heisman Trophy, should you lay some money down on him if you think he'll finish the season strong? Those are a couple of the big questions bettors are asking themselves this week. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Instead of diving right into what to expect out of the Trojans in this pandemic-abbreviated 2020 football season, I thought we could just begin by going over how the season has gone so far for those that are already playing. The Big Ten and Mountain West have just started up, leaving only the Mid-American Conference and the Pac-12 as the last two leagues that will begin in November. We've seen numerous schedule changes, postponements, and cancellations for schools all over the country due to rosters being hit with coronavirus outbreaks. Sam, how do you feel about all that's happened to this point in the college football season? I feel fairly good about it, all things considered. I'm encouraged that schools and conferences and programs have canceled or moved games where they've 
seen it needed. It shows people are taking things seriously. It shows that they are testing, that they're actually testing and not just saying they're going through the motions and just playing the games. They're actually, you know, making sure that they are staying on track and keeping their players safe and most importantly, taking responsibility and accountability for the situation. I think that was the one thing that rang the truest from the Pac-12 and their decision-making all throughout was they were going to be responsible for their athletes. And even though other conferences and other programs took a different route, they are still maintaining that level of responsibility for the well-being of their athletes. And, you know, if we're going to move forward as a sport and as a society, that's what we need the leaders to do. Totally agree with you. And Let's go a little bit deeper on the Pac-12. Obviously, when things first were going down and the Big Ten decided that they were going to postpone and not play during the fall, the Pac-12 quickly followed their lead. And then, of course, you saw the uproar from the Big Ten schools and their players, and they jumped back into the fray. Meanwhile, the Pac-12 waited until they signed that agreement with the Quidel Corporation to be able to get testing to all the schools, a daily testing at a cheaper rate. And do you think the Pac-12 in all of this handled the postponement and then the decision to return in the correct fashion? I do. I think, you know, the SEC and ACC were pretty dedicated to playing and the Big 12 were pretty dedicated to playing, you know, unless there was an overwhelming reason not to. And I think the Big 10 and Pac-12 took the approach of we are going to play it safe until we have overwhelming reason to believe that it is safe to start. And honestly, with what's taken place in 2020 with COVID-19, I feel that's the safest way to go is to be proactive and not reactive. Now, that being said, it is seemingly worked out okay for those other conferences and most importantly for the health and well-being of players in those other conferences. But I think it is a good selling point for the Pac-12 and its institutions to say, you know, down the line in recruiting, because who knows we're going to be dealing with this pandemic, that the first and foremost concern was the health and well-being for the players. And that's something that you, you know, you should be proud of. And I do truly believe that they've handled it well. And in the grand scheme of things, as we look ahead to what's potentially available to accomplish for USC and everyone else in the Pac-12, everything is still there for them. You run the table in your conference, you're going to have a very good chance to make the college football playoff and play for a national championship. Let's talk about the Pac-12 schedule. It's going to be a straight run of seven weeks, beginning with November 7th. And because of the fact that they came back so late, there's not going to be any kind of chance to you know, move games around or use a bye week to move something. So what happens if a Pac-12 team is unfortunately hit with a coronavirus outbreak? What are you going to do in those situations? Well, in terms of competing for a conference title or a national title, it's simple. You're out. And that's just the nature of the game at this stage. You're right. They're starting later than everyone else. So there is no room to squeeze something extra into the schedule. But quite frankly, you know, if you're looking at a pandemic and saying we've got to make every effort to rush in an extra football game and not we have to make every effort to keep everyone safe, then you're probably coming at it from the wrong angle. I think with the deal with Cordell, with all of the precautions that are being taken by USC and the rest of the Pac-12, they're minimizing the risk of needing to cancel games. But if it happens, it happens. And that would be the end of whichever team that is, USC or otherwise, title hopes. Yeah, I think because of what you have set up here, you're just hoping that The schools and their players and the athletic departments are all going to take everything seriously. 
and try and avoid these outbreaks that have occurred around the country. And I think the blueprint is out there. We've seen what has happened. And of course, this is a pandemic. Anything could happen. Guys can pick it up in a variety of ways. And that's what's, I guess, dangerous or maybe dangerous isn't quite the right word, but that's what's out there in the world when you don't have any kind of vaccine or anything to deal with this right now. Now, in terms of, let's say, Washington State, right, gets hit with a pandemic and then they can't play their game against USC. Is that going to affect USC if, let's say, SC wins the rest of those games, but that missing game is going to maybe cost them a chance to go to a playoff? Well, I think if it's specifically Washington State, less likely because USC would still have control over their outcomes against everyone else in the South. You win the South, you play the North for a title. If you play the North for a title and you win, you win the Pac-12. And if you're an undefeated Pac-12 champion, you are certainly a likely team to make it into the college football playoff. Now, some things would have to shake the Pac-12's way. I think it's going to be very difficult to ignore an undefeated Oklahoma State team from the Big 12, given how many games they'll have played. But one, they've still got to go through Texas and Oklahoma to do that. Two, the Big 12 overall schedule is not seen as favorably by some as other teams. So depending on what games are played, there is always a chance that the powers that be could pick a USC over an Oklahoma State. That's certainly possible. But I think so long as USC is undefeated and they have defeated all the other Pac-12 South teams, there's not really a chance for something weird to happen and then to not make the Pac-12 championship game. And more or less, all of their overarching goals would still be available to them. At least that's my opinion. It will be interesting to see how the committee is going to weigh all of the different factors this year with teams playing shorter schedules, with teams losing games possibly for the coronavirus and all of those issues that have occurred in this very different 2020 season. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, you can subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary. Tune in wherever you find your favorite podcasts or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today, Sam Farber. Let everyone know where they can catch up with you. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Farber Live. Hey, Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with my good friend, Nar Wang, on the Believe Podcast Network. So now, Sam, let's dive right into this USC football re-revised schedule, as even USC puts it on their website. There are going to be seven games, all within the Pac-12 conference. The last game is going to be versus the corresponding seed from the North Division. So if SE is in first place in the South, they'll play in the Pac-12 title game against the first place team from the North. If they're third place, then they'll play the third place team and so on. But it begins on November 7th with a Fox Big Noon kickoff, which means 9 a.m. Pacific time at home in the Coliseum against Arizona State. And that is possibly going to be the earliest game start time ever 
for USC because records are kind of incomplete before the early 1950s and there was an 1891 game against Loyola that started at 9.30 a.m. So, so far they haven't at least found any game that started earlier than that and it's going to be the latest start to USC season since November 23rd of 1918 when they played Stanford during the Spanish flu pandemic. Before we get through the rest of the schedule, I just want to talk about this first game because I want to get your thoughts on what you think about starting a game at 9 a.m. Pacific. I know it's for TV purposes. I know Fox makes a big deal out of it, that it's a big noon kickoff and everything like that, but 9 a.m., Sam? It is very early. If this were normal circumstances and there were fans in the stands, I hate it because I just think even though so much of sports in general today at this level is built around TV schedules, and there is a good reason to do that, I think it's not great for players to wake them up at 5 a.m. to get them ready to play at 9 a.m. I don't think it's good for fans. I think there's a lot of reasons why it's bad. But in a year that has been dominated by a pandemic where there will not be fans there, I think it behooves every team to do what they can to to make sure their game is televised and televised prominently. And, you know, I think with that being the mindset, I think it's great that USC and Arizona State are going to kick off at 9 a.m. It gives them national exposure. Remember, 9 a.m. here is noon on the East Coast, so they're going to get a chance to see a marquee Pac-12 game and really hopefully, because it's on paper at least, is USC's most competitive game, It'll give people who are in the college football playoff committee a chance to see USC, see how good they are against a good quality Pac-12 opponent and make a decision. Hey, if these guys are undefeated and there's a one loss SEC runner up or there's, you know, whatever the comparison you want to make, should we consider USC? I think this is a good way to get their attention early. And sometimes the first impression ends up being the most important one. Also, it's daylight savings. So it's really like 10 a.m. body clock for these guys. So, you know, that hour makes all the difference. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I remember being back in college to get up for a 9 a.m. class was difficult enough. I can only imagine what it would take to get up early to prepare to play a football game where you go and out there to try and beat each other up. I just, for all the reasons you explained, I don't like it. I understand why it's happening, and I think you're right. This is the year to try things like this out as much as I dislike this, and I hope it doesn't set a precedent for future years when there are going to be fans in the stands. I get it. I'm just not a big fan of football players playing a 9 a.m. football game. So we'll see how that goes. Now let's get through the rest of SC's schedule and then we'll kind of discuss specific games within it. But November 14th, travel to Tucson to play the Arizona Wildcats. Another road game the next week at Utah. Then back home on November 28th against Colorado. A Friday night game on December 4th, which will be at home against Washington State, the only team from the North Division they played during the first six games. And then on December 12th, the rivalry game at the Rose Bowl against the Bruins. And all of this will lead up to the next weekend, which will either be a Pac-12 title game on December 18th, a Friday, or a Saturday, December 19th game, again, against a team that will be the corresponding seed from the North. This is the first time ever to play a conference-only schedule. It's the first time not playing Cal or Stanford in the season since 1914. First time not playing Notre Dame since World War II. What do you see within this schedule that is going to help or hurt USC? I think they did them a huge favor 
by putting Washington State on the schedule as the team from the North. I think they're really trying to set up an Oregon-USC title game for the Pac-12. Oh, yeah, I think the schedule looks fantastic for USC. Again, I don't mind seeing Arizona State first up. And even in some ways, the 9 a.m. start time could help USC long term because, again, it'll give some of those people who are going to be on the college football playoff committee a good first impression of this Trojans team, potentially. Of course, they have to go out there and execute, but it's at least, you know, if they were playing Colorado at 9 a.m. in the first game of the season, that's not great because you're playing a team that you're supposed to pound on that's gone through a whole lot of change for this upcoming season. Arizona State's a relatively stable program, one on the ascent, one with a great young quarterback, a marquee name of a head coach. This is a big win for USC to get. And then you look at the rest of the schedule, you see new quarterbacks all over the place. You see new coaches all over the place or teams that are just really have not put together consistent winning seasons. So Honestly, on paper, this is by far the toughest game on the current schedule for USC. And if they get through Arizona State, they will be the favorite in everything else from here on out. Yeah, and it's funny. I noted on Twitter that USC, once the AP allowed teams that haven't played yet but are going to play to be back in the rankings, SC has gone up basically every week. They jumped into the polls at 25. They're now up to 21. SC is doing great right now, not playing football games. They're moving up the rankings, Sam, without even playing a game. Are they going to be able to move up significantly if they keep winning once they do start playing? I think so. I think, you know, this is a different kind of year. And while ordinarily, I think voters are usually in the mindset of we don't move teams ahead of others that have won. I think whatever the number is in the loss column is going to count for even more than normal this year. So, you know, like you said, USC has been moving up. I think there's been good news already from, you know, the Big Ten. Penn State has already lost. So that's one potential roadblock for an undefeated Pac-12 champion to make it to the college football playoff. Clemson looks like they're going to sail, but they're playing Notre Dame. I seriously doubt both those two teams have a chance to make it over the undefeated team. Probably Clemson does, but Notre Dame, a loss would probably be fatal to them. Talked about the Big 12 earlier. Oklahoma State is possible, but they've got the tough part of their schedule coming up. And in the SEC, Alabama's really in the driver's seat, but can Georgia or Florida make it through with one loss or do one of them have two losses and again, open the door for the Pac-12? So yeah, I mean, things have fallen relatively well for the Trojans and any undefeated Pac-12 team to have a serious argument to make it into the college football playoff. And that, at the end of the day, is the main focus for teams that want to be a national champion. How do we get into that Final Four? And let's talk a little bit about the players that are going to have to try and make that happen. There are going to be 16 returning starters for the Trojans, eight on offense, eight on defense, plus the kicker and the punter both back as well. Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman for SC, all Pac-12 second teamer last year. He had opted out, but with the season back on, he opts back in. Defensive lineman Jay Tufele, a first-team all-conference last year, has decided to keep his opt-out and prepare for the NFL draft. So, obviously, quarterback Keaton Slovis jumped onto the scene after the injury to JT Daniels in the season opener last season and he comes back now with a full season under his belt with a lot of hype surrounding him but who are the most important players in your opinion for USC to be successful this season I think most important top three are Keaton Slovis Keaton Slovis and Keaton Slovis (laughs) I mean beyond the fact that the quarterback position 
is the most consequential and most important position of any sport. You know, they're playing without a net here. I mean, even last year, it felt like they were playing without a safety net with JT Daniels out there because if he were to become injured, they had announced their backup was Keaton Slovis, a freshman who had not taken a, you know, a single snap at the college level, and he was a big unknown. And now you're doing it without – there isn't really a freshman like Keaton Slovis under Keaton Slovis to say, well, if something bad were to happen, at least we can plug this guy in who's you know, shown us some things in camp or has all these accolades coming out of high school. You know, Matt Fink has had some reps, and that's a positive thing, but it's not as if he has built up the kind of reputation at this point as a backup that people really believe he can just kind of pick things up wherever Keaton Slovis were to leave off if there was an injury. So Keaton Slovis is by far and away the most important player for USC. Not only does he need to play well, but he needs to play throughout the season. They really have to have him out there. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, for most teams, the quarterback is going to be considered the most important player. The guy I want to throw out there is on the other side of the ball, defensive stud, hopefully, for USC. Just a sophomore, Drake Jackson, had a very good freshman year, and he comes back now with a little more hype surrounding him and his abilities, and I think Drake is ready to possibly explode onto the scene. I think if he has a big game against Arizona State in that season opener, it could be a foreshadowing of things to come. I just think he's incredibly talented. Hopefully, a year of playing right away on the defensive line has helped him, and I think they're going to try and get him into more situations to be able to get at the quarterback, and that's going to be exciting to see what Drake can do for USC on the defensive side this year, because I think the back end of the defense is pretty solid. I think SC needs to get a pass rush, a better pass rush than they've had the last couple years. And I think Drake Jackson is the key to that. Oh, yeah. I, I love Drake. I've loved him since high school. He is a fantastic player from a fantastic family. Everything about the kid is great. It will be interesting to see, I think, at least the way they are talking about him in terms of positioning. He was always kind of a, a rush end style of player or, or someone trying to wreak some havoc in the backfield. But now they're listing him more at outside linebacker than necessarily defensive end. So it'll be interesting to see what, if any, adjustments that comes with in terms of his impact. I agree with you. The secondary is a real strength in terms of talent for USC. I love Chris Steele. Elijah Griffin has real star potential. You know, and those guys have to lock it down because the potential weakness of both sides of the ball, according to most people, you know, most of the experts out there is the line. And it's not for a lack of talent, but maybe, you know, a lack of depth at this stage. So you want to take some pressure off the guys up front, allow linebackers like Naioteote, who's gotten huge, huge accolades from the coaching staff through camp to be more of a presence, focus a little bit more on the line and less about what's going on behind him and just trust in Again, Chris Steele and company to take care of that back end. But I do agree with you. Drake Jackson is a huge talent, and it'll be very, very interesting to see what he can do in his sophomore season. And with 90 returning squad members, which is the most since 1993 for SC, you might expect it to be a veteran-laden team that's going to play mostly guys who have already been around. But there were some newcomers that entered in to USC. A few of them enrolled early, and of course, that got cut short when spring practice basically lasted one day before the pandemic shut everything down. But do you see any newcomers who could contribute for the USC squad this year? 
You know, there was a, the potential for Gary Bryant Jr., freshman wide receiver out of Corona Centennial, same program that Drake Jackson came out of, by the way. There was a potential that he could fill in some, but he's had some injury issues from what we've heard over the course of camp. So, you know, maybe that derails it a little bit. I mean, you might recall there, there was not a whole lot of fanfare for the overall class that was brought in last year. I do think there's some really talented guys in it that I'm excited to see develop. You know, Kobe Pepe out of St. John Bosco, the defensive lineman, really enjoyed watching him play in high school. I think he's got a chance to be special. Josh Jackson as well, another wide receiver who, from what I've heard, has also had some injury issues at times at camp. So both due to a lack of, let's call them polished recruits at this stage, you know, guys that you just take them straight out of high school and plug them in at the college level are few and far between to begin with. But USC doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of guys that people thought coming into the year that would be the case. And then the two or three that maybe have that potential having some injury issues over camp is going to slow that down as well. Yeah, there were not a ton of people coming in just because, again, a lack of people going out. And like you mentioned, there was a little bit of a down feeling about the incoming recruiting class. But I have a sneaking suspicion, just call it a hunch, but I think because of the way the offensive line is constructed and just the fact that there wasn't a ton of depth coming back, it's great that Elijah Vera Tucker came back for sure, but losing Austin Jackson early, the first-round draft pick of the Miami Dolphins, I think that one of those freshman offensive line recruits may have to come in and play right away at some point during this season, and you just got to hope that they're going to be ready for it. You know, guys like Caden Steven, Cortland Ford, Jamar Sakona, Andrew Milik, and the top-rated guy Jonah Monheim, I think one or more of them might end up having to play significant time during this season, and that'll be interesting to see how that works out if they do have to come in. Certainly possible, but overall you're hoping you don't have to. I mean, really, in reality, when you are looking at college football, if you are playing a true freshman, it tends to mean something went wrong because it tends to mean you didn't have the depth throughout your program and the recruiting the previous three years to plug that hole ahead of the freshman. Sometimes there's a freshman that is just so lights out, so good that you can't ignore him. You have to play him. Guys like, you know, Matt Barkley, I remember when he came on the scene, even JT Daniels, when he came on the scene, there was that kind of hype around him. Several of the wide receivers and running backs that have come into USC in years past, it doesn't generally happen for offensive line because they're just physically speaking are not a whole lot of 18, 19 year olds that are already built to stand up against a mature veteran 21, 22 year old on the other side who's bigger and more physically developed than you. So offensive line and defensive line, quite frankly, are a scary place to have to start a freshman because they are, you know, other positions, you certainly are going up against another athlete, but not the same way you are when you're lined up, you know, inches away from each other, nose to nose. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's a question of brute physical strength and ability and understanding of your position in a way that just doesn't come into play in a lot of other spots. I agree with you, which is why I'm apprehensive about (laughs) it, but I believe it's going to happen. I just think in this year, shortened times of play and practices and I'm just worried that you're going to see some injuries, and that's not an area of great depth for USC. So, again, I think it's going to happen. Not that I want it to happen. I just believe it will, and that's going to be an important part to see how SC handles that, how the guys who have to play 
might have to handle that. So overall, we've discussed this a little bit already, but the chances for a Pac-12 title, the schedule is set up for them. You would think that the talent level at SC is good enough to get through a shortened season. And again, the only team from the North during the first six games of the season is Washington State. You don't have to play Cal or Stanford, who are rivals. You don't have to play Oregon, which is considered the best team in the North and possibly the best team in the Pac-12 anyway. But let's say that SC can get through this and go in and play Oregon, which has been hit with some opt-outs on their own. How do you like that matchup, Oregon against USC for a Pac-12 title? It'll be very interesting, I think, you know, looking at them on paper. Last year, USC, for the most part, lined up reasonably well at most positions outside of quarterback with Oregon. And then Oregon clearly, certainly by the time the game happened, had an overwhelming advantage of experience at the QB position. And it kind of came through. This year, I feel... You know, certainly with Oregon breaking in a new quarterback now, Keaton Slovis is there. He'll be the more experienced of the two QBs, but Oregon's definitely going to have an edge in terms of experience and perhaps even natural athletic ability at a lot of those other spots. So it'll be a great game, but that honestly, Nara, that's what USC needs. They cannot afford to go undefeated and as their Pac-12 championship game have it be a team like a Cal or a team, you know, certainly ones that potentially can be very, very good, but are not necessarily going to give that splash in terms of ranking and prestige that an Oregon would. And if you're going to get in over potentially a a one-loss team from a conference that's been playing all year, like Oklahoma State from the Big 12, you've got to have a marquee win there. So playing Arizona State early, it's the biggest opener, I think, for USC going back to probably 2006 when they started with Arkansas on the road. I think it's the most important opener USC's had in 15 years. And it is extremely important that likely Oregon, but whoever they play at the end, be undefeated because that will set up the kind of matchup and the kind of attention that gives the winner an opportunity to play in the college football playoff. Right. Again, the conference has set it up that they want an undefeated Oregon against an undefeated USC in that Pac-12 title game. But regardless, they need to have two unbeatens, one from the North, one from the South, and hope that that's going to be enough that an undefeated Pac-12 team playing seven games can get in over a possible one-loss Big 12 team like Oklahoma State, a possible let's say even in the SEC championship, if Alabama runs the table and then gets upset by Georgia or Florida in an SEC title game and they have one loss, then I think you put in Alabama, right? That's what they're going to do. They'll put in two SEC teams into the four-team playoff. And you have the wild card of Notre Dame. I think you have to consider the wild card of BYU this year based on how they've been playing so far during this season. So I think The Pac-12 has a very slim window to get a team into the college football playoff just because of the late start and everything has to break perfectly. So for me, the chances of the Pac-12 getting into the playoff are just going to be slim because what have we seen, Sam, in 2020 that has broken perfectly? (laughs) Very good point. Not much at all, but you can control what you can control. That's uh, a popular coach's mantra. You know, I understand what you're saying, looking at some of these other teams. I don't think Notre Dame by itself has a great chance to make it unless, 
Well, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe you do have a point with them because if they're only losses to Clemson and then they were able to avenge it in the ACC championship game, maybe that does get them in. Probably does. So, you know, I think in that sense, maybe if you're a USC, you're rooting for Clemson because the assumption is they're not going to lose more than once. And so you don't want them to give Notre Dame that kind of marquee win and instead hand them one loss or two losses to knock them out of the picture. I really don't think BYU is a threat. I think just, you know, they caught some bad luck in the sense that with all the major conferences shedding their out-of-conference schedules for the most part, it's deprived them of any kind of marquee wins. And even though they're a really good team and have a lot of talent, I just don't see a way for them to argue beating Texas State is the same thing as USC beating Oregon. I just don't think it's there. Yeah, I think you're right with BYU's schedule is going to hurt them with all the major conferences coming back to play. I think, again, it's going to be really tight. I think the Pac-12 champion has to be undefeated. It probably should have to be Oregon or USC, just based on the fact that those are the two ranked teams before play gets started. And I think you're right. Clemson has to go undefeated and dominate the ACC. Alabama has to go undefeated, dominate the SEC, not lose in the SEC championship game. And then you have to hope for Oklahoma State to lose, probably, so there's no undefeated team out of the Big 12, and you're probably rooting for losses out of the Big 10 to maybe round robin beat each other up and try and get losses there, although Ohio State is clearly the class of that conference, and if Ohio State goes undefeated, Oklahoma State goes undefeated, Alabama goes undefeated, Clemson goes undefeated, that's your final four. The Pac-12 champion, even if they're undefeated, I think gets left out because they started later, so you need losses, but I think you're right about Clemson, and then I also would say Alabama. You want those two teams to just run the table, and then you want to get losses out of the Big Ten and Big 12. Trying to guess here, you know, two months before, roughly two months before the selection date, I think, kind of reiterating some of your points, Clemson is going to make it unless the bottom falls out. They'd have to lose twice, so Clemson's going to go. Alabama, with their win over Georgia, unless they lose twice, they're going to go, and then Ohio State, if they're undefeated, really any undefeated champ from the Big Ten, you know, Wisconsin has a chance. There are other programs that could do it, but let's just say for the sake of argument, there's only one undefeated there, and let's say it's Ohio State. So that's three in. So then I think, you know, USC, and because they're the only undefeated left in the Big 12, Oklahoma State are kind of in a similar boat where you are hoping for, rooting for a Georgia or a Florida not to win out the rest of their games because if one of them does it would include a win over Alabama and that would likely vault them in ahead of either undefeated champ if that doesn't happen then you've knocked out the Notre Dames of the world you've knocked out the second place in Big Ten let's say we're knocking out the SEC then it becomes a very interesting discussion of how good is the overall resume how good is Oklahoma State with a win over an Oklahoma team that's already got two losses and the Texas team that's, you know, if that's their best win, is that good enough to move them ahead of a USC team that potentially could have wins over a one-loss Arizona State and if they were to win the championship game, a one-loss Oregon? I think that's a really compelling argument, not necessarily a winning one, but I think it's a really compelling, good argument to move USC in ahead of a similarly undefeated Big 12 champ, but you got to get there. We've had so many years in the last decade and a half where it's like, well, if USC were to do this and these other conferences were to do that, then maybe we have an argument to say, and then the games are played and USC stubs its toe against someone random and that there goes the argument altogether. You got to win the games. That's what needs to be the focus, but it is at least fun for us to try and go beautiful mind on this and try and find a way to connect the dots and find USC 
a path to a college football playoff if things are not necessarily going their way with other programs taking losses. Yeah, the other wrinkle, of course, is that this year there's very few non-conference games to try and compare conferences with. And that's why I think it's going to be tougher because there's already a perception out there that the SEC is great and the Big Ten is great and the Pac-12 isn't so great. So that's another thing that's going to hurt, I think, the Pac-12. But like you said, they got to play the games. They got to win the games before you have any kind of real discussion or argument to be made anyway. So we'll just have to see how that all turns out. Again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. If you enjoy listening to this show, you can subscribe and rate us wherever you find your favorite podcasts iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also go to the website Believe.com, which is B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. My guest today, play-by-play broadcaster and the host of USC's football postgame show on the radio, Sam Farber, let everyone know where they can find you. You can find me at Sam Farber Live on Twitter and looking forward to talking to everyone on the postgame show on the USC Radio Network and KABC. To finish this up, I want to just discuss this situation because it's out there. It's interesting, but there's also a lot of mystery around it. Munir McLean is apparently under federal investigation and has been suspended from the team because of possible discrepancies or inconsistencies or something going on with the fact that he applied for the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program through California's unemployment system. And he's come out and addressed the fact that he did apply for it. And apparently there's some kind of investigation going on around USC students who are maybe possibly fraudulently applying for unemployment. What do you make of this whole situation around Munir McLean? Well, there is certainly an awful lot of unknown at this stage. I don't know how long a limb I want to go off of here and, you know, even detailing what the potential accusations are, because we just don't know a ton about it. I'll just say this. It's a very difficult time out there for a lot of people and a lot of families. And, you know, unemployment has been a bailout for A lot of folks who have fallen upon hard times through no fault of their own. And, you know, it's a difficult situation for a lot of people. And I don't know all the details of what's going on with the McLean family, but, you know, hopefully they're able to work through all this and hopefully whatever it is that's being investigated ends on a positive note for a young man with a lot of talent. In terms of how it affects USC on the field, Munir is a very talented wide receiver, certainly was coming out of high school, and no reason to think that his star potential has dimmed at all. But we're talking about the deepest position on the team. And granted, you know, in a time of COVID where one or two guys get sick and that might be able to take out an entire room and, and really reorganize the depth chart, you're looking at Tyler Vons, who's got a chance to go down, is statistically, at least speaking, is one of the greatest ever as a Trojan. Amon Ross St. Brown is probably in the discussion, I would think, in terms of the Bolitnikoff. Drake London had a great freshman year and was looking to build off of it. Brew McCoy is one of the most talented, high-profile recruits in the history, or in the recent history, last 10, 15 years of the program. This is a very, very deep position group, 
And while injuries to guys like Josh Jackson and Gary Bryant Jr. in camp might have created more room for others to move up, Kyle Ford also with an injury issue, you know, the top four are the top four. And so just strictly from a football perspective, the loss or at least the distraction, you know, shouldn't affect USC right out of the gates. But I think the hope for everyone when you're talking about young people and young athletes is that everything ends in a positive light for them. And really, I honestly don't know enough about the situation to say that it shouldn't come the end of the day. Yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of unknown around that whole situation. That's why the family kind of came out and just wants to say, hey, why did he get suspended? I think the problem that USC is stuck in is that if there is a kind of federal investigation surrounding it, they want to be proactive and not get hit by something, be blindsided by something that's beyond football in this case. So I think SC is trying to be extremely cautious about it, and I understand why the McLean family would be disappointed with how things are going right now for them, but it's just an odd situation, but I guess completely fitting with 2020 to have something like this. 2020 is that kind of year that every single type of story seems to come out of the woodwork. So sure, why not? Let's throw that one in there too. Exactly. So before we get away from everything here and finish off this episode, Sam, what do you expect to see out of USC for the 2020 season? Honestly, I think they're going to go 6-0 and and be playing for the Pac-12 championship. I can't stress it enough. The opener against Arizona State, it's the most important opener going back to 2006. It is going to set the tone for everything. It is on paper, on the schedule right now, the biggest game they have. Arizona State is a very good team, a very good program that's got now an experienced quarterback and has a defense that's got a lot of stars on it. This is a big win if USC can get it. If they do that, you're facing an Arizona team that's got relatively speaking, some quarterback changes from a year ago, Utah that's undergoing changes, Colorado major changes, Washington State coaching change, and UCLA, which you know certainly had some big highs at some points last year, but overall is not playing great football coming into 2020 based off the last couple of years. So things line up really, really well for USC if they come away with this win to open things up at 9 a.m. against Arizona State on November 7th. Then they're playing for a Pac-12 championship game in all likelihood, and everything is in front of them. And that's all you can ask for. You're not, as a Pac-12 team in this year, the way the schedules are shaken out, going to have an argument to say, well, we should be voted into the championship game ahead of an Alabama or a Clemson. But if you can get into the college football playoff, you can play them for the right to become a national champion. And that's what your goal should be. So I'm really excited to see what they can do. But I think if they get through Arizona State, I think we're looking at a very exciting December for Trojans football. Sam, I really hope you're right. But regardless, it's always great talking USC football with you. My pleasure, Nar. Thanks for having me. And so for my guest, Sam Farber, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 12 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and a whole lot more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And like I end every show, please remember to fight on.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.